welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. As we continue the series on the Sermon on the Mount, our reading this morning begins by looking again at the series of statements Jesus makes about those who are truly blessed. So from Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then turning over to chapter 6, reading from verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thank you, John. Morning, church. Heat is nice, isn't it? Just going to move this because I can. Hey, my name's Dave Kilpatrick. If I've not met you, it's fantastic to uh, be with you this morning. Brian Harris was going to be speaking on this series. And so uh, you lucked out because you've got me instead. But I'm blessed because it meant I got to sit in this scripture for a period of time. And it is just an awesome scripture. Who's been enjoying this series on the Sermon of the Mount? I have been loving it. I've been loving the ones I've had the privilege of speaking into and just loving sitting and hearing what people have been getting out of it. We need to be careful, though, with the Sermon of the Mount. And we need to be careful because it's familiar to us. A lot of us have grown up sort of hearing our blessed other peacemakers, love your enemies, the Lord's Prayer. We, we, some of this has become familiar to us and we can miss how deeply, deeply challenging it is to the way in which we think and the way in which we live. Who's been to Sizzlers? A lot of us have been to Sizzlers. When we were growing up, we didn't have... I've lost my... There you go. When we were growing up, we didn't have lots and lots of money. And uh, we very rarely went out for dinner. But just occasionally, maybe twice a year, we might go out to Sizzlers. And uh, we, we never, at home, we never had lots and lots of you know, piles of fresh fruit and vegetables and salads and all that sort of stuff. Um, so when we went to Sizzlers, the idea for a, a teenage boy who had the capacity to eat his body weight at any given sittings of going to a smorgasbord of fruit and salads and meats, it's just unbelievable. And uh, so we would go about twice a year and, and, and I would just, just enjoy myself. I won't talk about the gluttony that I participated in. But you see, Sizzlers is, works on the business model that on average people are going to eat less food than they actually pay for. Otherwise they'd go broke. But Sizzlers has a problem with its business model. And the problem with its business model is that Sizzlers has too much space. Have you noticed that when you walk into a restaurant, there's too much space there? No, of course you haven't. Because the space problem that Sizzlers has isn't in the restaurant. The space problem that Sizzlers has is in people's stomachs. So people come into Sizzlers with too much space in their stomachs. And if they've got too much space in their stomachs, they're going to eat too much food. And if they eat too much food, they won't make enough money. So they have a space problem. And who knows how they deal with this space problem? The cheese toast. Everyone knows. <laughs> Everyone knows. It's the cheese bread. And you see, when you go in, if you haven't been there, when you go into Sizzlers, the first thing they'll do to you is give you a tray of this cheese bread. And if we break it down, this cheese bread is essentially thick pieces of white bread, lightly toasted with chemically tasting cheese stuff on the top of it. And when I was growing up, it was yum. It was seriously good. And I'd chow into this cheese bread. 
And my father and my mother would say, Dave, don't eat the cheese bread. There's something so much better than the cheese bread. And I kind of knew that they loved me and I kind of knew that they were wise, but I'd miss out on the cheese bread. It didn't matter how much good stuff there was. Even after I'd been to Sizzlers once and, and had participated in what was coming next, I still ate the cheese bread. My parents live in the eastern states and they'll, uh, when they come over, they want to have my kids experience what I experienced when I was a kid and so they'll take the family to Sizzlers. I'm still tempted to eat the cheese bread. <laughs> Generally, I don't, mainly because I want to model restraint to my children. I suspect if they weren't there, I'd have one just for old time's sake. But it is, it is just fibrous, tasteless filler with a bit of stuff on the top to make it attractive. And it solves the space problem. And as much as my parents told me, Dave, there's something better, I couldn't quite believe them. Sermon on the Mount's a little bit the same. We have this passage in which Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. In which Jesus is talking about life with God. That's what he's inviting us into. The kingdom of God is participating life with God. Jesus prayed, Lord, that they may be one as we are one. They in us and we in them. This, this unity of community in participation in the life of God. And that's what, that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he is, he is drawing us into. But one of the other challenges is in reading the Sermon on the Mount is we can read it with all of the distorted paradigms we have about God. And we read the Bible intellectually, but our emotional response to God is deeply framed by a whole lot of factors. It's framed by the family we grew up in. It's framed by the stories we hear about God. It's framed by our experiences. It's framed by our own sinfulness. And, and, and quite often, our emotional, deep emotional response to God is disconnected from who He really is and we don't even understand it. So for some of us, there's this, there's this suspicion that, yeah, I know God says God loves the world, but I, I just have this sense that He's angry with me. Somewhere deep down, I just have this sense that God's, God's disappointed in me. Or I've, I've got this sense that basically God, God wants to, all the fun stuff, he says, don't do it. And, and he just, he doesn't want us to have any fun. He doesn't want us to participate in life. He wants to sort of live this grey existence. Or, or really, he's just a grumpy God that's looking to catch us out. Or, or maybe he's just distant. And, and he's really not, I, I haven't experienced him, I don't think he's close at all. Or, or maybe our relationship with our own father has been problematic and the idea of having a, that, that informs what God might be like because he's described as father. See, so if we are not really, really careful, we will read this radical, radical text which challenges deeply the way we think and feel and just fit it into our paradigm about what God is really like. See, in there it says, you know, Jesus is, after the Beatitudes, he says, I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. 
You've heard it say, if you, you know, don't commit adultery. I tell you that if you, if you look at someone lustfully in your heart, then you've, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Yeah, I knew God, I knew God was wanting to, how, how can we do that? He's just wanting to hammer us. Or if you think that God is wanting just to miss out on something, you, you, you can't love both God and money. You've got to, yeah, God, God, God doesn't want us to enjoy the fun stuff. What Jesus is opening up to us in these scriptures is something deeply, deeply countercultural to our way of being and our way of thinking. And our thinking needs to change. And, and this is... This is stated really, really clearly in the scriptures. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect, good, pleasing and perfect will. In Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, again, the Apostle Paul writes, so I tell you this, and in fact, I insist on it in the Lord. Get the sense of urgency that Paul is speaking with here. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live. You must no longer live as the people who don't know God live. And what are you expecting him to say after that? He's going to list a, list a whole th- bunch of things that the Gentiles do that we mustn't, mustn't do. No, he doesn't. He says you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What is Jesus inviting us into on the Sermon of the Mount? It is life with God. Why must we not live like the Gentiles live? Because their thinking is futile. They do not understand something that Jesus is trying to open up to us. And when we're reading this scripture... Firstly, we must step out of its familiarity and trying to allow it to challenge us deeply. And then we must hold the scripture with the powerful narratives of the Bible. It talks about not storing up treasures on earth, but we have to remember that this is a God who created a world of abundance and beauty and majesty and prolific colour. He's not a stingy God. He made it. If we're thinking about a God who just likes to make a bunch of rules and whack us on the head when we do wrong, this is, this is the God who says, I'm not counting your sins against you. This is the God who gave himself up for us in the most profound, intimate, painful way so that we could be reconciled back to himself. This is not a God who sets a performance ladder for us to get to him. He comes and said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me and I am coming to you. So friends, as we sit in this scripture, let's hold it in the context of this beautiful narrative and remember who it is who speaks and allow, we have a choice. We can try and fit this scripture into our mold. 
or we can allow the rhythm of these passages to challenge the places where perhaps we don't really see God as he is. This is an invitation to life with God. So in, in the light of that, let's read the scriptures. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. I've heard lots of sermons and lots of things written about the illogicality of investing our entire life in accumulating something that we can't take with us. That's absolutely right. It is completely illogical and irrational. But if we stop there, we miss the point. We miss the point. Because he goes on to say, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So how do you store up for your treasures? When you get your pay packet, you don't go to the Commonwealth Bank or the ANZ Bank. You go and deposit it with Cloud Bank or St. Peter's Bank or the Pearly Gates Bank so that when you get up to heaven, you can say, hey, where's my ATM card? You swipe it through, you get your gold and off you go. No. What's he talking about? Treasures in heaven. Our treasure in heaven is God. It's God. If it's anything other than God, we make the same mistake up there that we make here. Because we see all the stuff that God has made and we get captivated by that and that is just a product of who He is. Why would you want the thing when you can get the person who makes the thing infinitely? See, we're predisposed to think, okay, well, I'll I'll put my treasure up there. No, the treasure is God. And the thing is, we don't need to wait for heaven. The New Testament scholar, theologian, and Pastor N.T. Wright says a lot of people, when asked what the gospel is, they, they think it's the message about how to get to heaven when you die. And he said it's not. He said it's how to be in heaven before you die. How to live with God now. So in Corinthians it says, Whoever is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. It's life with God now. It's participation in the kingdom of God now. It's treasure now and our treasure is God because everything else that is good is just a subset of who he is. Let's not mistake the gift for the giver. The giver is always better. The giver is always better. So if we just stop with, well, this is illogical. Jesus is saying, look, just think for 30 seconds. It's dumb. But there's something so much more beautiful. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, remember this is a message given by a father who sent his son to restore a world that he loves. And he knows we have a hole inside of us. And we will desperately try and fill it with the cheese bread of life, with all sorts of stuff. And he's saying where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And your heart will be ruled brutally by anything other than me. 
I'm the only thing that you can surrender it to that will set you free. We can read it, uh, Jesus doesn't want us to love money. No, Jesus wants us to be free. Then there's this interesting passage. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is that meaning? It's a strange passage. If your light, if your eyes are healthy, the word healthy there in the original text is a word that had two sorts of meanings. And, and one of them is singular, undivided. And the other one, it, it, it also means generous. And you see, the, the commentators suggest that this is a double entendre. It's got a double meaning here. It's saying if your, if your eye is singular, it will be generous. If your eye is focused on God, if your, if your heart and your eye is focused on an infinitely loving, giving God, it will be generous and you're able to live free because that which you love is infinitely. It's never going to run out. You never have to be clutching and clawing and wanting. But if our eye is divided, if we're wanting this and we're wanting that and we're wanting that, and it's not generous then we're not free. We're chasing things that are scarce. And we're dark inside. We're not, we're not generous. We're not liberated. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here's the catch. Here's the catch. You know, you can't serve God and money. He makes us choose and if we're not really careful, we can feel like somehow God wants us to miss out. Somehow there's something good that he is depriving us from. Again, we have to go back to the narrative. This is a God who died to restore his people back into relationship. And, and can, you, can, you, can you hear that from a, a dad who's saying, you're playing on the rocks and you're going to damage yourselves? You can't live well there. It is going to kill you. It will control you. And my desire is that you can live in intimate communion with me and be free. You, 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 you can't have both because I know your hearts are evil. Everything that money was created from was God's idea. I mean, the, 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 the resources of this earth is God's idea. He gave them to us. But because we are corrupted by sinful desires, we tend to want them and not him. And he knows that. He's saying, you can't do both. And we can read it as though he's wanting us to miss out or we can read it as the cry of a father that says, don't, don't play on the rocks. You were created to be with me. Then the scripture says, goes on, therefore, what does therefore mean? Because, for this reason, as a consequence of what I've just said, therefore, Whatever you see, therefore, you've got to go back and remember what you've just said. So Jesus is just saying, don't store up treasures for heaven in, in, on earth. Store up treasures with me. What is he calling us into? He's calling us into relationship with himself. Therefore, because of this, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? You can, 
remember I said this has got to challenge our thinking. You can imagine Jesus sitting there teaching him and thinking, God created all of this. And he wants to have these, these people in relationship with him and they're worried about their clothes. How, God, how do I get through to these people? Just, I know. Hey guys, consider the birds of the air. Consider the birds. They don't sow or reap. They don't store their food in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. And you so much more important than birds. Like, hello, Jesus is saying, get this. Birds, they're not worried. Why are you worried? It's your heavenly father. He knows that you need this. Are you not much more valuable than these? You're worrying. Can any of you add an hour to your life by worrying? The, the, some commentators translate this as, can anyone add a foot to their height? What he's saying is, it's completely pointless. But if we're not careful and we miss the fact that this is calling us into relationship, we say, right, I shouldn't worry because God tells me not to worry. I won't worry. The only reason we can possibly not worry is because we were caught up into a relationship with the God that created everything. Absent that relationship, telling us to not worry is just ridiculous. There's all sorts of stuff to worry about unless our God spoke all things into being and he's our father. And that places us in a completely different picture. And why do you worry about clothes, said Jesus. It's funny, I was praying at the back and uh, as we were praying, I opened my eyes and I realised I've got a dot here and I thought, oh, that's great. I'm standing up here with dirty clothes. And then I realised what I was preaching about. <laughs> and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Again, Jesus is going, please get this, Lord, help them because they're not getting it. They, the, the flowers of the field, they don't labour or spin, but not even Solomon in all his glory, not even the, the most wealthy billionaire in all of his splendour is clothed like one of these. Now, if, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field that is here today and is gone tomorrow... How much more will he not clothe you, O oh, you of little faith and very dull minds? Please get this, he's saying. So do not worry. Saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the people who don't know God, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first him. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worry about of itself. Every day is going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can you see a different rhythm to the scripture? It's so easy to read this and say, I've got no worry. Right, that's another thing I've got to do. I can't have money in God or I've got to make a choice. This whole thing is an invitation to say there is something bigger going on and it's life with God. We get caught up about people's approval. We get caught up about food and clothing and whether I've got a dot on my jeans when people are going to be watching me preaching about the kingdom of God. How can I do that, Lord Jesus? But I do. There is something bigger going on. And our minds and our hearts need to be open to it. This is what the Apostle Paul was trying to get across to us in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, 
I've got it here somewhere. Where have I put Romans chapter 12? Romans, no, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 37. The, the author says, what shall we say in response to this? Do you want to know what the this is? Read Romans 1 to 7 and then read Romans 8. Just 7 and 8, unbelievable passages. What shall we say in response to this? Now, I, I want you to risk just getting a little bit excited about this, okay? Okay, just, just don't, be careful, we're Baptists. But I just want, I want you to start to get an idea that perhaps this is something that might be just a little bit exciting. What then should we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Lily gets that. He who did not spare. Well, otherwise, why would she be doing what she's doing? That's crazy. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him also give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whose God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, no more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember, this is life with God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? By the way, they might come. But shall they separate us from God's love? No, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall any of these things? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because we were called into intimate communion and relationship with the living, powerful, almighty God that loves beyond our capacity to comprehend. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither things present, nor future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you understand why Jesus is saying, what are you doing worrying about clothes? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat? There's a bigger picture going on. Life with me, I created everything. Your very appetite I thought up. This is the kingdom of heaven. It is life with God and it is life with God now. You see, when we we capture that, when we've got a single eye for the kingdom of God, when our hearts are just bursting with the generosity of his love and grace and forgiveness, then we are free. We are free from the need of things. We're free from the need of people's approval. We're free from the need of power and control. And finally, we are free to love a broken, hurting world. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that God is opening up his life to us and saying, Come in and participate in what you were created for. You have a hole in you that is infinitely insatiable. And the only thing that is able to fill it is myself. 
And he said, don't play on the rocks over there. Don't get caught up with people's approvals. Don't worry about this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures because it's going to kill you. And I know that the most beautiful, profound, wonderful thing that can be beheld and participated in is my life. And I've died that you could enter into it. What a, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful thing to be invited into. How could we not just want to immerse ourselves in that? How could we not just want to spend more time with God in prayer and worship? How could I not want to spend as much time as possible in His love letter of revelation to us that is the Scriptures? How could I not want to spend more time in fellowship with one another, worshipping and praying and just loving and adoring? How could we not just want to immerse ourselves in this picture of beauty and freedom and wonder? How could we not? But we don't. But we don't. I don't. Sometimes I do. But nothing like what it warrants. And I've known most of you for long enough that a lot of you don't either all the time. We just don't. Often, I'd prefer ice cream and a dumb movie than sitting down with the Scriptures. I'd rather be entertained and distracted than sit in participating in the presence and reality of God with me. How can I do that? There's, there's lots of reasons. And they all have the same answer. I think sometimes we have a, a pretty poor view of God. We sort of have an intellectual understanding, but we don't really trust Him. We don't really comprehend how good He is. Sometimes we do have the sense that He's just, he's just angry with us and we don't, we, we don't want to go there because He's just uncomfortable. We don't really trust Him. And what we're presented with is this, this contrast between this beautiful relationship by this extravagant God who has poured his life out to death so that we could participate in the beauty of that relationship and the wonder and the grace and the majesty and the glory of, of being able as me to participate in that with you. And on the other hand, my indifference to such a gift. And at that point, all I can do is, oh, Lord Jesus, please help me. Please help me. And then I remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I think at that point, our religious activity is undone. Our meritorious works are naught. I realize just how selfishly self-focused and absorbed and evil my heart is that I can be given that gift and rather eat ice cream and a movie than participate in that. And I say, Lord Jesus, I am undone. Please help me. And he says, I know. You always were. But now you're starting to see it. See, the reality is we are all poor in spirit. 
but we're blessed when we start to see the depth of it. And then when I come to a place where I've realized just what an abomination my attitude is when faced with the gift of God's grace, and I say, Lord Jesus, please help me, I start to taste in a deeper, sweeter way just how good His grace is and how completely stuffed I am without it. And my heart starts to change. And I start to realize just how blessed I am. And my humility starts to increase because all of the pride and arrogance starts to drift away because what have I got to be cocky about? I'd rather desert than grace. And then I find that my attitude to people start to change because I realize just they, like me, are just broken people, poor of spirit, and they don't know. And all of a sudden, my enemies are not my enemies. And I find it easier to love them and to serve them because I've entered back into the cycle of grace with God. And I said, Lord Jesus, help me. And he does. See, the Sermon on the Mount as an invitation to life with God and the only place we can ever enter that is blessed are the poor in spirit because that is the reality of where we are. And if we try and enter halfway through and look at the law and the morals and all the stuff that we've got to put in, right, I can't worry and I've got to love my enemies and I've got to pray in the dark and when I give someone, I've got to make sure no one finds it. I'm either going to burn myself out or I'm going to get really proud with how well I do and either way I've screwed up. The only way into the life is blessed are the poor in spirit. And if we go through that door, God changes our heart. This is deeply, deeply challenging to us because there is something in us that doesn't want to go through that door. We want to do it by works. We want to think we're okay. We want to, we want to look at all the stuff I've done. I gave him a job. I've become a pastor. None of that matters. Our hearts are evil. And Jesus knows that. And he says, come away with me. Look at me. Pursue me and I will set you free. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that God invites us into. What a wonderful, wonderful place that God brings us to where all he's doing is showing us what we need all along. The only person that didn't know it is us. And Jesus is just waiting and saying, come, allow this passage of scripture to deeply challenge us and to take us back to the beginning so we can enter in poor of spirit and watch what God does in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I've been immersed in this scripture for a week and I still look at the mark on my jeans as I'm about to step up. Lord Jesus, please help me. Father, I just thank you that you know our hearts, you know our incapacity, you know our brokenness and you say, come and acknowledge that and I can heal you. Lord, we want to be a people, a community that is salt and light because we have been profoundly transformed by the breaking down of the patterns of our mind to understand that we are called up into relationship with you. 
an abundant, omnipotent, infinite relationship. Lord, when we're tapped into that, we don't need to worry about stuff. We can just give our lives away for others, for a world that you died for. Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would you enable this to penetrate our minds and our hearts for they are dull and they are hard. Oh, forgive us, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that that is what you desperately want to do and you have already done. Lord, we come to you completely empty and undone. And thank you that in that place, it is the place that you fill us. Lord, as we respond, as we spend time in worship, Lord, would you just by your spirit allow your scripture, not my words, but your scripture, just penetrate our hearts and transform us and renew us for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.